0: Welcome back to Not A Dollar More. My name is Shane Rogers. This is Australia's first podcast series dedicated to helping people who are wanting to stop or control their gambling, or for people who want to know more about the potential harmful effects of gambling. I've experienced a gambling addiction myself, so I know all about it. In this episode, we'll be looking at the pokies. Sometimes it can feel like there's a pokey venue around every corner. Currently, Australians lose $12 billion per year to the pokies. That's $34 million every day. That's $1.4 million every hour. That's a lot of cash. So in this episode, we're talking all things pokies. We uncover why some people can play them just for fun, and why others get hooked and just can't stop. Later in this episode, we'll talk to Dr. Charles Livingston about how they work and who really wins. But first up, we'll hear from Sarah, who found herself going to the pokies way too much. Hi Sarah, can you tell us how it started with you and the pokies?
1: Well, there was always a birthday celebration within the family, and we'd go down to the local hotel, and after we had our lunch, we would go in and play the machines. It just became a very common thing to do. As a family? As a whole family, yeah, and extended family as well.
0: Yeah, okay. So, started quite social.
1: Very social.
0: What was your first impressions of the pokies?
1: I actually thought they were quite hideous, and I didn't play for quite a long time, probably about six months or so, I would actually just stand at the back and watch them. And I'd kind of find it fun and exciting watching them, but to me they seemed actually a little bit complicated at first.
0: And then where did it go?
1: And then I finally thought one day, well, everyone else is having a go, I should have a go. So I did, and it seemed harmless enough. And I just sort of played a few times then with everyone else, with the family.
0: For a lot of people we speak to about the pokies, they talk about it starting social and then they start gambling on their own. Is that how it happened for you?
1: Yeah, that's exactly how it happened. So probably around a year later, I think because I'd already been introduced to them, one day on my own, I just walked into a hotel It's interesting in hindsight because I think had I have not been introduced, I don't think I would have found myself walking in on my own.
0: So what made you go in on your own?
1: Well, I was feeling a little stressed. I had free time and I felt like I just wanted time out. I just wanted to sit down somewhere, have a drink, relax and not think.
0: How much of playing the pokies for you was about winning
1: That's a really tricky question because it was more about, like I said, having time out and winning, yeah, winning was important.
0: Because a lot of people talk about stress being a reason to go, Mm. blocking out things Mm. in their life because they can sort of just sit at the machine and be a little bit mesmerised by all the lights and that. And people talk about being in like the zone, you know, the blinkers are on Mm. and they're just concentrating on the machine and, you know, things are good there for a while. Does that sort of resonate with you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you go into like a hypnotised trance. And when you're in that state uh, that we refer to as the zone, it's kind of blissful. Nothing else really matters. You actually don't want to talk to anyone. If anyone would dare come in my space or talk to me or stand behind me, I just didn't want them there. Right. I just wanted it to be me and the machine.
0: How long would you spend at a venue?
1: Yeah, typically two or three hours. Yeah. Mm.
0: So was it for you losing your money, all your money or was it just losing a part of your money or?
1: Losing all your money.
0: Okay. Yeah. So you were there for two or three hours because you, then you had nothing else to give really. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, You left when you run out of money. What was that like?
1: That was pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah, pretty awful feeling.
0: So when you, you had money, you'd go?
1: Yes. Money was the catalyst really. Yeah, okay. Had money, would go.
0: So from starting out socially to being in the zone and totally, I suppose you could say, out of control, what was in between that? Like, was there signs of, you know, that this is becoming a big problem? Were there any telltale signs for you?
1: I think after the first time I went on my own, and then the second or third time after that, it became clear to me that I felt like the machine had some sort of, you know, possessive power over me in a way and that I was completely losing myself. You know, almost like at times you felt like you were morphing into the machine, which is a really weird experience if you've never had that before. You can't wait to get into the venue and you've always got your favourite machine. Mine was the moons and the unicorns and, you know, I just... Couldn't wait to get in there, and really, once I sat down on the chair, within a few minutes, I was, you know, in that zone space.
0: It was like taking like a hit from a drug or something like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: that's right. Like being, um, you can imagine someone trying to hypnotise you. You can you can be under their spell within a matter of minutes, and that is what the machines are designed to do. Was there much
0: denial for you?
1: Denial is really interesting because denial is almost like part of being in the zone. When you're in that that zone state, that is kind of where denial sits. So in the real world, when you're back out again and, and you're going home, I guess you are in denial that you do have a problem, certainly in the beginning.
0: A lot of people seem to think the longer you sit and watch a machine, the more idea you've got with when and how it's going to pay out. So whether you're actually playing the machine or watching somebody else play, waiting for a machine to pay out, did you experience anything like that?
1: Look, I think as a gambler, it is a misconception. If you've just put $1,000 into a machine and it's done nothing, you think it's going to pay out. It has to. It has to. But that I know now that that actually isn't the case at all. Yeah. They are completely random
0: some people talk about like their legs just walking them into a venue,
1: oh yeah, did my you, car used to just drive itself in there, yeah, right. all the time, and you think how did that just happen? Like, was that really me? yeah, was the feeling it is like being possessed, it's like you have another being inside of you, whatever you want to refer that to, you know, like an alien or something that's alien to you, yeah. it's a weird feeling. And your car just keeps driving in there.
0: So absolute no intention to go whatsoever and no. you end up sitting down playing the pokies. That's
1: right. You write yeah. yourself letters, yellow stickers up on your sun visor telling yourself, you know, you won't go today. Or, you know, you spent too much money, you can't do it anymore, whatever. So many things that you put into place that you're not going to go. But the power, once again, of these machines is enormous.
2: Yeah,
0: but you got over them. I did. Tell us about that.
1: (laughs) Well, I I think uh, when I finally hit the brick wall, not literally, fortunately, because it's certainly a thought that crosses everyone's mind when they leave a venue at, at certain points. You know, they just want to run your car, you just want to run your car into a tree. I feel like that within myself I'd hit the wall and I literally threw myself at, on my parents' lounge room floor and cried, sobbed for probably 12 hours wow. nonstop. I was so overwhelmed with everything that had happened, with the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment, the loss of money. Then right. I saw an ad in the local paper for a group called Getting Even and that was perfect. That kind of saved me, really. Yeah. So that was a group of people, probably about 12 of us, and we were all experiencing gambling-related issues. And all our stories were different. Uh, we were all different ages. Most of us were poker machines, some of us horses. But the commonality was the depths of despair that we, we could all relate to. And I think that that was the changing point for me.
0: So that program was the changing That program, point. yeah.
1: Talking to other people that had been there.
0: Did you get help from any other areas?
1: Yeah, I did. I got individual counselling. Yep. How'd you find that? I found it beneficial, but it wasn't enough. Yep. It yeah. just wasn't enough.
0: I think that's how I felt as well. But I think when I got mine, I wasn't quite ready as well. So um, I wasn't quite ready to stop. Have you got a sense of why you developed an addiction?
1: I do now. I was a little bit perplexed given that I've never really had any other addiction in my life. However, when I was 21, my 26-year-old sister died unexpectedly and I didn't handle it very well and I had a a level of uh, shutdown within myself. And I think I recognise now that being a really key contributing factor around suffering loss and I think that that keys into playing the machines and the idea that people think it's about winning, but in actual fact, it's all about losing.
0: Can you share with us the journey of recovery? Were there relapses for you?
1: There was a few relapses. I think that they just came about through low points in my life. But the interesting thing is that for me, the issue of playing the poker machines is if they were out of sight, for me they would actually be out of mind right. uh, and I find that very peculiar when it comes to talking about addiction and I think that's what sets the poker machines aside from other addictions. If I wasn't visually seeing them all the time on street corners in you know all of our hotels, I probably just would have been able to forget about them. I don't believe I would have had relapses if they weren't there
0: so what were some of the practical things that you did in that relapse phase of your life?
1: When I did relapse, of course I could recognise it straight away where I was heading. So I contacted a friend and also a family member and I spoke to them and I kind of made them like my to-go-to person that if I was going to keep going I had to ring and tell them because I went was going through this journey on my own which kind of made it extra difficult. I didn't have to go home and tell my husband where I'd been or, and that made it really tricky.
0: So accountability.
1: Yeah, I had no accountability except to myself. So it was very important that I found someone I could really trust and that I told them because otherwise the secret just gets bigger and bigger and it's an awful feeling to have Mm. to go through that. And also the other thing I did was I changed the daily limit on my withdrawal. I used to be able to withdraw $1,500 in one day and I brought that down to 300 And that worked? Yeah, that did.
0: What pieces of advice would you give to somebody that's struggling with a poking machine addiction now?
1: Find the right person to talk to and to get support.
0: So that could be professional yes. or just family and friends?
1: Yes, just someone yeah. because... It's virtually impossible to do it on your own and, you know, to stop giving yourself such a hard time because it's so difficult. It's it's seemingly almost impossible that you cannot stop, but you actually can because some of us have.
0: Can you tell us about what life is like for you now?
1: Life is really great at the moment. However, I am left with the consequences of uh, losing so much money I don't own a house, I'm a renter. However, I have enough money now to live on and enjoy myself.
0: Sarah, thanks a lot for coming in and sharing your story. Um, I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people and uh, good luck for the future. Thank you. Our next guest, we have Dr Charles Livingston, a gambling researcher at the School of Public Health from Monash University who has studied the pokey machines and knows exactly how they work. He's also studied the effects they're having on people and the community and why so many people can't bloody stop playing them. Dr Charles, thanks
3: for joining us. You're very welcome.
0: I've played the pokies but never felt addicted. I know
3: what it's like to be addicted to sports gambling. Are the pokies just as addictive? I think the pokies are more addictive than sports gambling. The general consensus is that the pokies combine a whole bunch of features which are all designed to addict people to them. So they're the most addictive form of gambling by far. So sports gambling, yeah, it's very addictive, especially if you're using it online or on an app, but the pokies are generally agreed to be the most addictive form of gambling available at the moment. So if they're so addictive, why isn't everyone who plays them getting hooked? The interesting thing about the pokies is that the people who end up getting hooked on them are people who generally are experiencing some form of stress. So what we know is that people in that sort of stressed state are very susceptible to the dopamine response. So dopamine is released when you get the anticipation of a reward or when you actually receive the reward. And since the pokies have the capacity to give you a reward every few seconds, you get this endless stream of dopamine. So people who are feeling stressed find that the dopamine relieves that. It gives them a soothing experience. It comforts them. And this is something which is a very addictive feeling, particularly if people spend much of their life feeling like things aren't going well for them one way or another or without even being aware of it, experiencing substantial stress in their work, in their home life, in their relationships or, you know, with their family. So that's why not everyone ends up getting addicted to the poke because not everyone needs that form of relief. But the people who do need it find that it's very appealing and find it very hard to give it up.
0: And a lot of addicted pokey players mentioned being in the zone. Hmm. Can you explain the zone to people out there, please?
3: Sure. So the zone is this state that people get into when they're using pokies, when they're really into them. And they find that they're completely disassociated, as a psychologist say, but essentially, you know, away from the world. That means that you don't worry about anything. Everything is cool. while you're in front of the machine, you just focused on the machine, you're zoned into the machine, you don't think about all the stuff that's troubling you in your outside life, you don't even notice the guy next to you. So the zone is this state of, I guess you could say, bliss. People get blissed out in the zone. And that's great, except it costs you a lot of money to be there and when you run out of money, the zone comes to a sudden screeching halt and it's not very pleasant.
0: Each machine is meant to pay out 85% Hmm. um, of its earnings what they call return to player, Mm -hmm. this sounds like a lot. What does it actually mean?
3: What it actually means is every time you put a dollar in, it takes 15 cents on average. So if you start with $10 and each time you push the button, it takes 15% of your stake, it doesn't take long before you have nothing left. It doesn't mean that if you go in with 100 bucks, you should leave with 85. What it does mean is that every time you push the button, you're going to lose on average 15% of your stake. So that's why, you know, you get a few little wins and it goes up, but essentially you have this sort of grind down in terms of the money that you're spending. So it doesn't guarantee an 85% return on what you take into the pokey joint. It guarantees that it'll take at least 15% on average of what you're putting into it.
0: A lot of pokey players out there need to know, are some
3: machines luckier than others? No, they're all equally unlucky. I mean, machines are designed to take money off you and to do it very efficiently. There are two design objectives that the people who build these things have in mind. The first one is maximum time on device, TOD. So that means they want you to spend as much time as possible and the other thing they want is what they call pack, Revenue Per Available Customer. So they want to maximise both of those things. So in other words, they're all designed to take all your money and to make you spend as much time and money as possible on them. That's what they're built to do. They have no element of luck involved. Yes, probability plays a part in it, but... You know, the chances of winning a major prize on the average poker machine in Australia are no better than one in ten million and often as much as one in fifty or sixty million. The machine I've got, the Dolphin Treasure, the odds of winning the biggest prize on that, not a jackpot, just the biggest prize on the machine, is one in fifty five million six hundred and forty thousand. Wow. So that's a pretty crappy bet, Absolutely. you know. It's a very crappy bet. And there is nothing that makes a machine luckier or more likely to pay out than the next machine. And you know, the illusion that people have that because you've been playing the machine for a while means that it's full of money and it's going to spit some out. I'm sorry, that's also nonsense. The machine has, like the machine I was talking about, it has over 55 million possible outcomes. You cannot play the machine long enough to achieve that. And even if you did, it would cost you about a million and a half dollars to do it, and the maximum price you're likely to get out of it is less than 10000 So it's not a very good bet. It's a terrible bet, unless you happen to be the person who owns the venue, in which case it's a bloody good bet. So you're sitting there all afternoon, you're watching somebody else's machine, mm-hmm. and you're thinking, this thing's going to go off in a second. Mm-hmm. That's just not true, is it? It's not true. It's not true at all. I mean, you would have to play the machine for three and a half years – to have at least any chance, any chance of going through all the possible outcomes. Three and a half years, non-stop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, you know, if you're watching someone playing a machine for three or four hours, they haven't even begun to scratch the surface of the probabilities that are inherent in the machine and the machine offers.
0: Near misses or losses disguised Mm -hmm. as wins. Can you describe... Those phrases?
3: Sure. So on you know, contemporary machines, machines that have multiple lines, and as many of your listeners will know, you bet fifty or more lines on machines, or on real betting machines you can bet, you know, thousands of combinations. So what happens is most people who use the machines regularly bet on multiple lines. They usually bet on as many lines as they can. In fact we know that the favoured strategy of most regular users is what they call mini max. So, minimum bet, maximum lines. And occasionally you'll go up and down on the betting levels. So, you employ this mini max strategy. That means, you know, if you're betting 50 lines on a one cent machine, that means you're betting 50 cents a spin at least. But you can often go up from that. So, you bet your 50 cents, you bet your one cent per line, you get a little win on one of the lines that you bet. The machine goes off, gives you a little bit of celebratory music and a couple of dancing dolphins or whatever. But in fact, you might win five cents. But the machine celebrates a win. Now, this matters because it's what we call a reinforcement. It's a reward. And your brain doesn't understand necessarily that you've lost money. You've lost 45 cents, but the machine's celebrating this win. So what you're getting is you're getting a little dopamine rush from this reward. And the more dopamine you get, the more likely you are to end up being addicted. So you get reinforcement from an outright win, if you actually win more than you put in, of course you do. You get reinforcement from a lost disguise as a win, and you also get a form of reinforcement from a near miss. So if you have the lines uh, slightly out of order, and you don't get the big win that you think, but it's close, it looks like it's close, you also get a reinforcement. So by these tricks, they've tripled the amount of reinforcement that the machine will provide you without it costing them a cent. So what it does is it makes the machine far more addictive than it would be if it was one of the old-fashioned three-reelers with a metal handle that you pull towards yourself and it goes clunk, clunk, clunk. So, you know, these are sort of tricks that the industry has used, has developed over a long period of time to make the machines even more addictive than they already were.
0: I also didn't realise that there's not the same amount of characters on each reel. Hmm. I was reading last night and I found that really staggering. I don't think a lot of people would know that. Yes.
3: So, for example, Dolphin Treasure, the one I've got, has uh, four reels with 30 symbols on each reel and the fifth reel has 44 symbols. That's not unusual. Most machines these days will have uneven reels, as we call them. So that means not only are there different numbers of total symbols on each reel, but there will be different numbers of winning symbols on each reel. So, for example, with the king, there will be one king on the first reel, two on the second, three on the third, four on the fourth, and maybe two on the fifth. So what that means is it actually not only facilitates losses, disguised as wins, of course, but it also facilitates near misses. So since the machine pays left to right, the chances of getting the first king on the first reel are very low compared to the second, third or fourth reels. So you're getting all these kings appearing on the screen. You're thinking, gosh, i just got to get that last one and I'll make the prize. But you don't. So that facilitates the near miss effect, which, as I said earlier, also provides a reinforcement which keeps you going, which gives you that sort of dopamine rush and which helps to make you addicted to the machine.
0: So who really wins
3: <laughs> well, the people who win are the manufacturers, Aristocrat and the other big manufacturers are very profitable companies. They sell and export machines. They sell them for twenty dollars to $25,000 each. They're not that impressive technologically, so they're making a lot of money out of the sale of these things. And, of course, the venue operators, and that includes people like Woolworths, Coles, the AFL clubs in Victoria and elsewhere around the country. In New South Wales, the gigantic clubs, some of them whom have seven or 800 machines in them, which is staggering, uh, and the, the pub owners and operators and, and the clubs. So the winners are the people who op- own and operate the machines and, to a lesser extent, the state government, which gets over a billion dollars a year in tax from pokies in pubs and clubs. And unfortunately, all that money comes out of the pockets of people, and many of the people that are providing that money are people who really can't afford to spend it. You've talked about what the pokies do to the brain. Can it be reversed? Can it be changed? Oh, yeah. No, there's no doubt that you can overcome this addiction. You can overcome any addiction. You can train your brain to think differently. We know now that brain plasticity, that is the brain's capacity to reorient itself, to think differently, is quite strong. So you know, once you realise that you're in the grip of this problem and that you want to get out of it, you know, you can get help, you can find people to talk to, you can talk to your loved ones about it, you can come clean, which I know is a big deal for many people caught up in a gambling problem. Half of the stress and anxiety associated with having a gambling problem is a fear of shame. And I mean, I think, I know a lot of people are ashamed of, getting caught up in a gambling habit. But I think the thing to remember is this. It's not you. I mean, pokies have been around for 120 years. And every year they get smarter and smarter and smarter at getting people addicted.
0: So from all that you know, if this was you going through a pokie addiction, what would you do?
3: Obviously, you have to help yourself first. You can't help anyone else until you help yourself. Fortunately, it's not that hard to find support and assistance And I know it's a tough struggle to get over it, but you can, you can do it. Plenty of people do. And the best thing to do it is to do it as soon as you realise you've got an issue and not wait until you're bouncing off the bottom of the barrel, okay? Because it's much harder to recover when you find yourself in those sort of dire straits. But at any stage in your gambling career, it's a good time to step back, look at what you're doing and think, maybe I need some help. So do that, get some help. Then the next thing you can do is you can overcome the shame because there's nothing to be ashamed of. Anyone, anyone can end up in the sort of trouble that you might have ended up in. Dr. Charles, thanks for joining us on Not A Dollar More. Well, you're very welcome.
0: You're listening to Not A Dollar More. Our next guest is Kathy, who found herself using the pokies as an escape for some stressful stuff going on in her life. Thanks for joining us, Kathy.
2: You're very welcome.
0: Kathy. how did your gambling start?
2: It actually started many years ago, I used to take my mother up to New South Wales once every year, but I wouldn't call myself a gambler then. But in the last, say, five years, my husband used to send me up to the pokies, right. pay for it, okay. and it got to the point where I, mean, I was happier there than I was at home.
0: So it started out socially in New South Wales, which uh, a lot of people said that that's how it started. So they came here, and then it was quite a long time before you actually started playing them again? Yes.
2: Or- My ex husband used to. We'd go out for dinner. He'd go to the pub so he could drink, and he'd give me some money to put in the pokies.
0: What did you like about the pokies?
2: Just the atmosphere to start with. It used to be just just the fun. I used to think I might win. It didn't bother me if I didn't. And then it got to the point where he would send me up on my own because he's decided he didn't want to gamble anymore. And then he had a friend of his that. We didn't sort of get on very well. So he used to say to me, Look, I'll give you 100 bucks or 50 bucks, whatever it was at the time. Sort of started off at 20 and built up. You go up the pokies on your own and I watch football. And then it got to once a week, twice a week. And then it got to the point where I started going when nobody knew.
0: So your husband gave you money to go when it was convenient for him by the sounds of it?
2: That's how it ended up being, yeah. Very yeah, convenient okay. for him. He'd say to me, Don't spend any of your own money. And then um, I started to take my card with me and started to spend my own money. And when I started to lie about it, I realised it was a problem.
0: And you were addicted?
2: I was by that time, yeah, I would say so. So you
0: were using your own money as a sort of a top-up from his?
2: Definitely. Yeah,
0: Yeah. okay. And when it was kind of at that point, then you realised you had a problem?
2: I think I realised I had a problem one day when I was um, sitting outside the venue before it opened. Right, okay. Waiting for it to actually
0: open. Um, Lots of people talk about being in denial were you in denial or you sort of just knew?
2: I think I may have been a little bit, not not greatly, because I was quite open about it till towards the end when I started to lie and that's when I realised I had a problem. But I think in the beginning I really did believe. And, um, I thought I could just stop when I wanted to.
0: So more money and more time?
2: Much more time. Every waking moment that I had money, I would be at the pokies.
0: People talk about being in the zone when they're playing the pokies kind of like maybe mesmerised by the lights and kind of just blocking out perhaps everything else that's going on in your world? Did you feel like you were in the zone?
2: It took me away from what was going on at home. So if, yeah. if that's what you mean. Yeah, it's
0: more like a happy place.
2: Yes, I was very happy there.
0: Happier yeah. there than anywhere. Okay. Some people talk about sort of their legs walking them into the venue, um, not being able to sort of drive past without being able, you know, just have to go
2: in. I blame Um, my car for that because my car must have known every (laughs) pokey venue because no matter where I was coming home from, it just drove in there.
0: Drove in there. And take us through driving along and going, oh, my gosh, I have to stop. Like, what kind of things were going
2: through your mind? Oh, it won't hurt. Oh, I've got an hour. I didn't tell him what time I'll be home. Oh, I haven't been to this one before. Just that type of stuff.
0: Yeah. Stress?
2: Uh, I think towards the end, a bit of stress where I was thinking, oh, I really shouldn't, but oh, i stuff it,
0: I'll go in. Were you going to win?
2: I think a bit of both. It didn't bother me if I lost, and I enjoyed it when I won. But. Um,
0: you probably expected to lose.
2: I think I got to the point where I knew I was going to lose because yeah. I don't believe you can win.
0: <laughs> the lucky machine. We talk about people going, oh, you know, I had that machine. If it's vacant, I'm playing it. You know, did you have a lucky machine?
2: Not so much a lucky machine, but I had my favourites. It was the animation of them. If I liked the animation on them, the way they worked, the way they responded when you got a jackpot or a free spin or whatever, they're the ones I played. If I got on a machine and I didn't like the way it looked, it wouldn't bother me if, you know, the next 10 people got on and won. I wouldn't get on it.
0: So take us to playing the pokies, losing all your money, stress at home, to saying, mm. you know, enough's enough.
2: Sitting at the pokies, put all my money in, thinking about going back home and I really didn't want to. And I thought, this is not right. This is really silly. So I took one of the Gambler's Help cards, went out and sat in the car and made a phone call. Great. And that was my decision to give up. And that was it? That was it. Wow.
0: So you rang Gambler's Help?
2: Yes. I had an appointment more or less straight away to see a counsellor. Great. And I saw her for over 12 months.
0: Take us to the counsellor. What kind of things do they help you with?
2: Everything. We went through lots of different things. Some of it got very personal as to what I was actually getting out of being at a pokey venue because there was no love loss between my husband and I by this time. Mm. Stress with the family and she just taught me how to deal with all the things that I thought were normal but they weren't. They were stressing me out and I was looking for an out and my out was the pokies.
0: So the pokies were, was your happiness? Yeah, it was my happiness. Yeah.
2: That's what I used for, you know, if I... Had a fight with the kids, I'd go to the pokies. If he was driving me insane, I'd go to the pokies. Yeah. And when I was there, I was happy.
0: Would it be safe to say that the pokies was kind of one of the only places you could go if you, you did have a fight with the kids or a fight with the husband?
2: Besides my best friend, yes. Okay. She she knew how much I gambled. Yeah. And like after I'd given it up, she was the one I rang when I had the, the strong urges to go. And, um, yeah, she used to pull me back. And That's good. But that's where I went. Every excuse I had, I went to the pokies for every reason.
0: Yeah, well talking to your friend's great because a lot of the people that we've spoken to say one of the most important things to do is to share what you're going through.
2: Oh, if I hadn't have had her, I'd probably still be there. It the problem was just shared, fortunate. The problem halved. Oh definitely, most definitely. Yeah. Especially if you've got a non non judgmental friend.
0: So you saw a counsellor? Yes. And then any urges? Yes. Okay. Tell us about those and what that was like. Uh,
2: Well, like the car, my car would want to go into the pokey venue and I'd have to fight it to to not, but I would just take a breath, do some of the exercises that my counsellor taught me and I made it. I never, ever went back. I just decided I wasn't going and it was hard. And, you know, some days I'd sort of think, well, I'll go home and get my card because that was one of the things I did is I stopped taking money with me. I didn't carry cash except enough for an emergency and I left all my cards at home, so I I'd think, oh, stuff it, I'm going to go. I'd go home. By the time I got home, I would have done my breathing and that, and I'd think, no, I don't need to go. And I'd feel good good. about myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So take us through the breathing, because I'm interested. How, How long would you have to, like, breathe for before the urge sort of went away?
2: Only 10 breaths. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was like when I gave up smoking. You'd have that real urge to have a cigarette, and I'd have a drink of water. And by the time I finished the glass... The urge was gone, not the thoughts, but the urge that, that ooh, I want to go, I want to go, I want one. It was the same with the pokies. I'd do those 10 breaths. Oh, the first three very deep. <laughs> the rest of them not too deep or I'd pass out. And then the urge itself, that real strong urge, you'd go, and I'd be able to continue, continue home or continue cooking or whatever it was I was doing.
0: Can you take us to the ringing of a friend? So obviously you've got urges, you want to go and gamble, Take us through that whole, you know, ringing your friend sort of.
2: Yeah. If uh, in the beginning more so, when I didn't have the the techniques to sort of stop myself, I'd ring my girlfriend and I'd say to her, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. Talk to me. Tell me not to. Tell me not to. You know, what do I do? What do I do? And one thing she said to me was, see this finger? And I could see her in front of me waving her finger at me saying, don't you dare. Don't you go. You're better than that. You can do it. And um, by the time we got off the phone, we weren't talking about pokies or anything. We were just talking about what we, what we normally do. And the urge was gone.
0: How good is that, to have a friend like that?
2: It's the best. Yeah. It is. You, everyone needs a friend like that. Because even when you spend, you know, I mean, I'd spend too much money. I'd spend my whole wage in one day. And I'd say to her, I've spent my whole wage. And instead of her saying to me, you idiot, she'd go to me, oh, love. Well, you know what? We'll try not to do that next week. You know, or just ring me next time you feel like going. And I knew that I could do that and she wouldn't judge me for it.
0: So for all the things that playing the pokies brought you, what did stopping to?
2: It brought me self-respect because I've never lied to my family before and that's probably the only thing I felt really guilty about was I'd lie to the kids. I wouldn't answer the phone if they rang, knowing they'd say, where are you? And I'd lie if if I did answer it. More money. My bank account sort of went up a little bit. And I just felt really good that I did it. You know, I mean, I look now and I think, oh, there's no way I'd go and put a dollar in a pokey machine, not even just for the fact of it. Yeah. But um, I felt really good about myself. And I thought, well, you know, I don't need something to make me feel better. I can just stand there and say, you are a good person. You don't need the pokies or anything else to... Make you feel that you're a good person.
0: How do you think the pokies changed you as a person? If you know, you say you're a good person, and I believe that. Um, <laughs> but like, how, how did the pokies change you?
2: I was a liar. A liar. Mm. And I hate lying. I just hated lying, and I did it really well. You know, oh, I've got to leave. I've got to. Go. I've got to be home by a certain time. And my daughter would say, oh, okay, then you're going to stay for dinner? No, no, I've got to be home for whatever reason. I'd find some reason. And, of course, I'd leave there and go straight to the pokies.
0: So if someone said to you, Kathy, I'm addicted to the pokies, I just cannot stop. You know, I spend every waking hour thinking about them and whenever I've got money, I play them. What piece of advice have you got for them?
2: Call Gambler's Help or Gambler's Anonymous or whatever it is that you can and see a counsellor.
0: It's good mm. advice.
2: Yeah, it helped me.
0: <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Good luck for the future. If you want to know more information about how the pokies work and how they can be harmful, have a look at our website notadollarmore.org.au. We also list a number of different support services and programs on our website, including the Australia wide Gamblers Help number, which is 1800 858 858, where you can get free and confidential advice. This podcast has been produced by Van Ull Community Health. My name is Shane Rogers, and you've been listening to Not a Dollar More. Do check out our other episodes for more stories of problem gambling and ways to get help. Bye for now.